Anyone else have a stressful trading day today? (laughs) Not stressful, but not good. Yeah. Mine's been stressful. Horrendous. (laughs) Horrendous. Down on pretty much everything. I luckily was able to kind of mentally understand that it wasn't looking like a good day and that it had potential to become really stressful and frustrating. And I luckily managed to not let it get that bad. Yeah. This time. That was that was smart. I I also I even have a rule about not trading today. I'll talk yeah, about I thought probably so. later. And it's just like, oh, you know, three day weekends, I always make four day weekends. I always take that first day, whatever it is. Um, if it's a Thursday or a Friday, I'll take off depending on what the holiday is. And I've heard you talk really, about that. Yeah, it's, it's super nice. You have like a four day weekend stuff, but I don't know. I just, uh, I think it's because I've been away so much. I've been taking so many days off and I feel like I haven't been trading that I was like, oh man, I'm finally able to trade. Let me trade, which is the worst <laughs> thing you should ever do. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, let me add them. Yeah, let me force force something that's not there. Oh well, whatever. It's not a big red thing. Stocks just don't want to be traded that day. Yeah, exactly. I worked myself into negative one and one and a half k today. Oh, um, oh I'm sorry. But also, not I'm only I'm only down two hundred thirty seven at this point. Oh, that's nice. Dude, you come out <laughs> of these holes like. Dude. I did pretty good on GFAI. I was just really? buying and just selling pops. Man, and GFAI was a down. piece of garbage. How did you come out of GFAI? I was on it. I was hitting it with like 1,500 share size too. Hmm. I was, I, was up, I was up a lot and then I've given back quite a bit on it too, though. I was almost break even. I'm just going to show I was trading screen. it with like six, 700 shares or so, and just taking small, small paper cut after paper cut on it. And even in the morning early, I was like, I don't think GFAI is going to be good today, just from like the daily chart. And it's following AI basically as th- sympathy. And AI has done nothing but sell off the last couple of days. And just yesterday and the day before, GFAI just plummeted on like no volume. I just was like, I don't think that this has much upside potential. To GFAI's uh, side, it has a tremendous amount of support here. And last (laughs) time we had a big sell-off like this, it also rallied 60 plus percent. Hmm. So we have daily support zone. We have the 180 SMA. We have the 9 EMA and the 15 EMA basically just all coming together right here. That's interesting. Kind of an interesting. I I I'm just looking at it right now for the oh, what did I just click on GFAI? I wasn't looking that far back on the daily. Actually, I was just looking at the past couple of days, but that's an interesting pattern. Do you guys ever look at AI, the the sector ETF for like momentum? Because if you look at AI, look pull up to two days ago or yesterday. Is this it? No. Yeah, that's it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go to I think it was two days ago, like the two day, five minute or three day, five minute, whatever you have, you'll see a literal sell off where there was no bid at all. Look at that. That was a 20% down day. And that's what's fueled the whole sell off on the overall market as well. Like the queues were sold off big time. 
that's and what i was the next talking day about it broke yeah. low broke the low and today's the first day it caught a bid so it makes sense that gfa is going to move some people in our room were talking about that the catalyst for that sell-off was uh elon musk and steve wozniak basically saying stop ai for a minute mm. yeah they all signed the petition like a thousand people or so letter to put it on pause little summer recess to you, think about what, what do you guys think of that I think it's pretty stupid. Sorry, I was just going to throw it up out there. I think it's dumb yeah. to assume that uh, the movies we made in 20 years ago are going to come true. Like, I think that it's kind of, like, silly to think that, like, if you put a human input to it, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, in a thousand years, we're going to have little robots walking around. And if this is what they signed a petition for to, like, slow it down, right? Because they're scared of AI. That was the whole point. Right. Basically. Like, why yeah. are you scared of AI based on uh, the human idea that they're going to, that AI is going to one day realize that humans shit and we have to eat and like, that's a bad thing and we die. So like, just why not have like an organism that lives forever? I don't know. It just seems like usually the, the ideas we have about technology are just vastly fucking wrong very mm -hmm. quickly. So I don't know if it's, I mean, obviously Elon Musk and Steve Wozniak know a fuck of a lot more than I do about AI, but that's an interesting point. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we have in our heads, I guess, this idea that AI is going to become sentient and take over and like kill us all. But, you know, who knows if that's actually what could happen? Um, I don't know. I think I, I don't know. I don't totally agree with just pausing technology like technology is always going to move forward. I think it's kind of silly to try to halt progress yeah. on technology i just don't think it's really going to happen um but i don't know we'll see we'll see how it plays out <laughs> bold move cotton see how that plays out <laughs> for them yeah i read a few ai books i was really into ai like back in 2014 15 to like 2017 and i was trying to code a lot of stuff my own things with like um with uh google's tensorflow and all these things and it, it was kind of interesting because almost every AI book has a very big section about kind of like security concerns with AI. Mm -hmm. So it's a really prevalent topic in the space. And I kind of get where it's coming from because it like, it's one of those things that's a little bit like Pandora's box. Once it gets out, you can't put it back in. And I think that's what they're trying to figure out. You know, it's even like with a car, you know, once you invent the car, <clears throat> it's just going to get faster and faster. More people are going to have it and you're going to have a bunch of accidents mm -hmm. because people are going to run over each other. So it's like, hold up, let's maybe set some frameworks here. And I think with an AI, it's, it's you know, many orders of magnitude, a little bit more crazy than a car. So I, I get where they're coming from. And I think it's just such a hard thing to to really comment on because it's it's so complex and you you just, you just don't really know what what's going to happen. But I guess that's why they want to kind of slow it down. Did you I, talking about slowing things down? Did you see this tweet? I don't know if I have the hey I saved the picture somewhere. Let me find it because this is just mind blowing. Uh, one sec. View all save as. How do I open this? copy image or you guys uh copy image paste it 
I'm just going to put, oh yeah, here we go. I'm just going to paste it in our Discord. <clears throat> I'll share the Discord screen. Share screen. So here's our Discord again. Did you see oh. this with ChatGPT? It, um, what? They had I'm... to, they, they had to pause their premium plan because too many people were signing up for it. Yeah. I am, uh... I, I have the premium plan as well. Um, oh, really? I, it was, to me, it was a no brainer to buy it because you get, like because it freezes often because so many people use it it's the fastest application ever to get from zero to 100 million users it it's yeah, like yeah. basically 10x with instagram and tiktok and all these other apps we're able to do so it's, it's i feel like i'm like blissfully unaware i have actually never even been to the website i've never used it i do really? see yeah i i do see all kinds of social media posts about like automate resume search uh resume applications and job searches with it and all this kind of stuff which i think is really cool because the job search process and system in the u.s is just kind of a joke um and so like why not use chat gpt to write your cover letters for you and apply to 20 or 30 or 50 jobs because unless you know someone at the company anyways it's really hard to get at the top of the list when you're like one of a thousand applicants to something so why not just have it save you time yeah i think that's really cool but yeah i haven't i haven't used it or anything they tried out your mind's gonna be blown i was i know two, two apps obviously chat gpt and then Midjourney. dude once <laughs> i used them for the first time i i think i went like on a two-day binger where it was the only thing i did for like eight hours straight it's, I got it. <laughs> it's so insane. These two apps, um, Midjourney is basically like AI art where you just tell it a prompt and it creates something. And then you could really, I've seen some of that stuff. I don't know if it's that app, but, um, I've seen on like Reddit, uh, pictures or stuff like that. These AI generated, like magnificent scenes that are so cool. Yeah. It's, things are, I don't know, it's just like, um, you're, I, I feel like with these two apps, you can become like a, like an, you're leading an orchestra and you're just like, boom, do this, boom, do this. And yeah. like bring everything together. It, it, it gives the individual like 10 X abilities, you know, all of a sudden you're like coding with like a professional coder next to you or something like I'm, that. I'm trying to pop this up. Um, one of my good friends yesterday sent me let me share my screen for a second. Oh, you. you oh, wait. I, for me. Dang, it gets me every time. All right, let's see. Uh, <laughs> All good. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, trying to share my screen. How do I share my screen without sharing any uh, any important stuff on here? Hide I'm all the passwords. Open. Um, check this out. He sent me this video. For the banana. Apparently, someone asked AI to generate a video of Will Smith eating spaghetti. Oh, yeah, I've seen this. It's mm. like, it's horrifying. It's stuff of nightmare. It's a little That's crazy. so funny, bro. <laughs> Have you like, seen what is that? There's something really unsettling about this. this like, is, yeah, something's just not right there, you know? <laughs> there's Honestly, a... though, it did a pretty good job. <laughs> check, out the, check out the Harry Potter... Um, What's it called? Harry Potter uh, AI Bella. What's that fashion brand? Bella. Balenciaga. Yeah, Bella. Balenciaga, yeah. Have you seen that? 
Mm-hmm. You know? That shit's so funny, bro. I thought those were real people. Here, I'll just share my screen, I guess. Um, <clears throat> we're, we're getting all so <laughs> off topic, but it's it's crazy what you can do. First, it started with the Pope. So it was like the the Pope <laughs> by Balenciaga. Balenciaga picture. And Dude, that shit was people thought it was <laughs> people thought it was real, but then it came That's out. Awesome. That's AI. the kind of scary thing, though. I don't know if you guys follow some accounts. I mean, I follow like Wall Street Bets and they frequently after J-Pow has his meetings, they will replace his voice with AI and just have him saying all kinds of horrible things. And it's really funny, but also like kind of terrifying how well it does that. Uh, you got to love Wall Street Bets. Um They'll probably have some good stuff up tomorrow. I think tomorrow some some macro stuff drops. <laughs> good old boss porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Tomorrow is this week. Got the NFP. Unemployment. Yeah, wait, let's quickly watch this. Uh so this is this is You are a wizard, Harry. <laughs> no, I am a boss. <laughs> Dude, it's so creepy, but it's pretty good. It is good. Oh my god, <laughs> that's awesome. Valenciaga model. Oh, that's <laughs> damn. That's horrifying. That is Don't weird. Be Valenciaga. <laughs> 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 the glasses yeah so oh, man. yeah i mean that's that's yeah i think there's going to be a lot of uh, fake clips coming out in the next few years where there's there's probably going to be a few scares where oh my god did this yeah. really happen um dude the guy who's going to make so much money is the dude who creates a software that can tell whenever something is fake yeah they already you have know. that for, I think, papers, like college papers, because apparently so many, or like just essays yeah. in general, so many are coming in as just AI written now. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that's good. It's like something needs to disrupt the system because the system is clearly kind of broken and just completely for profit. And I see a lot of posts now about like a, a bank or a business, uh, uh, an 18 year old would never get a $150,000 loan for like, I'm going to go do uh a communications degree for four years and then i'll be paying you back for the next uh you know like 80 years no no bank would ever give a, la- a loan for hundred fifty thousand dollars for just like nothing except for college it's just such a interesting system yeah yeah i still think that i'm all for disrupting it i totally yeah agree. I think that it's like a yeah, it's great. I think that if you can get rid of the jobs that this this is hard. It's a hard topic because if you mm-hmm. get rid of the jobs that are like very simple, like you kind of just need a brain to have the job, and then you can give that those people can have a job now where like they're doing something creative. Like I was listening to what the fuck is his name? Naval Ravikant. Yeah. He mm-hmm. was saying how uh because he was on the Joe Rogan podcast and he's just genius. And he was saying how in the future, like most people are going to be working for themselves. Like most people are not going to be working in this big industrial settings. Mm -hmm. And like the whole reason that we have these nine to five jobs now and like these 
10,000 people work for Apple and like all these things is because we were coming out of the industrial revolution and that was a requirement of creating cars. Like that was Ford was like the first guy to make like the, the eight hour workday instead of the 12 hour workday, because then you can have three people working for 24 hours. Assembly lines and efficient work. Yeah. And we're like moving out of that phase where now, like almost everyone you talk to, like, you know, five years ago, it was like, I want to be a YouTuber. Well, now it's kind of just like, I'll do fucking anything. I will, I'll fucking make rings and sell them on Etsy. I'll be a day trader, Mm -hmm. you know, like everyone wants to work for themselves. And that's definitely what's going to happen in the future. And the more that these AI jobs take over the role of the labor industry that like, doesn't need to really be there. Like if you could have every cash register be a self-checkout every, you know, all those simple jobs. And that creates more space for people to like disrupt specific industries like airbnb was created because of craigslist you know like that came from craigslist rentals and then airbnb has this massive business now so yeah take a big business and like disrupt it into tiny little sections and then we can all like run our own little version of that i hope that that's kind of the way that things go because i mean unless you're completely unaware, it seems very clear that the middle class is just like disintegrating. There pretty much is no middle class anymore. There's just like wealthy, very well off, able to afford anything. And then there's like low income, basically. And living in the Bay Area, even it was probably like two or three years ago now that I read a report that was like uh, a family income of 250K is considered low income in the Bay Area when that was a couple of years ago, before we really started having issues with inflation. And that was when the economy was at all time highs too. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just kind of crazy. And I I hope that people start to look at ways to kind of break out of the system. Uh, Because obviously it's just not working for most people at this point. Yeah. A lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. And yeah. I think two industries that could be disrupted the most are probably education because like the college, mm-hmm. U.S. college system is just chaotic. doesn't make any sense to me. It's and then joke. there's healthcare, which is just very unaffordable. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I was watching this video recently, some like police something video that popped up on my YouTube. And it was just like this guy who clearly needed to get the ambulance called on him after um, a car crash. And he's like, the, the police yeah. officer is like, we've called an ambulance. And the guy's like, <laughs> No, don't call the ambulance. Like, I can't afford it. It's going to be like eight grand. That should not be going through your head at any moment. Like, that's so crazy. It's very dystopian, especially living in Europe now for uh, several years. It's like, it's so cheap. The hospital, you go there, it's like 60 bucks. I mean, it's basically free. So like, when you hear stuff like that in America, you're like, wow, like that's so messed up. Even though I grew up there and I know that, but it's, it's weird. So I'm really interested in that. I, I'm an Italian citizen, actually, so I could live anywhere in the EU. Um, I've considered it over the years, and actually, like two years ago, I had a, an opportunity to decide if I actually wanted to do that or just like continue building my life here, and I chose here, at least at the moment. Um, but what is that like? Uh, are you, I'm assuming you're a citizen over there. Yeah, I'm, I'm a citizen. I was born in Germany, so I have mm. dual citizenship. And because I grew up in America, my parents got the citizenship. And then Mm -hmm. I was never planning to go back to Germany. I just was on a really long road trip and it was my last stop. And I was like, so over traveling that I was like, I'm just going to chill here for a bit in Berlin. And it's kind of like New York, but greener and cheaper. And like the quality of life is like 10 X. I mean, it's crazy. So I was just like, you know, 
the years went by and I had such a good time. Um, it's tough. Like there's definitely things you miss from America. Primarily mm -hmm. for me, it's like my family's a bit split all over the place. I mean, my brother's in Florida. Family right now is in Utah. I have family in Germany, but it's like everyone's always somewhere else. So I, that's, I think it's tough that like to be so far away from people all the time, mm -hmm. uh, especially a lot of my friends. But um, that's a that's a pretty solid flight to get back over there. Yeah, you know, it's it's always that good seven, eight, nine hours, depending on yeah. where in America, what tailwinds are looking like. And <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, <clears throat> it's a bit. I'm, I'm going to be going to to end of May. I'll be going to New York. But hmm. yeah, I don't know. Like, you, I would say check it out for a bit, like even just for like six months or so. You know, it's it's such a good time. And and if you're under six months, you don't have any tax issues. So it's, I think like you could really enjoy it. Maybe do like a summer or like check out Lake Como, for example. Like we did Lake mm -hmm. Como for two or three weeks and we were just trading in the mountains around this beautiful lake. Like uh, George yeah. Clooney's got a house there. Like it's, I don't yeah. know, like as a day trader, you have so much freedom. So why not? Yeah, I did a like a three week trip on my own through Italy last spring, which was awesome. And I'm actually going to be heading out there in June again for about three weeks. My sister's getting married in Tuscany, which is going to be super cool and fun. One of my favorite um, areas in Italy, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I'm landing in Rome and doing basically like a clockwise whole northern tour of Italy, which is I'm super excited and I traded last time. The hours are nice in Europe because you can They're like really do whatever nice. you want in the morning. You come back in like 2 p.m. or so. The market opens at 3.30 over there. You trade for like two hours and then you go back out and it's <laughs> pretty it. ideal. Yeah. That's pretty chill. Unless you go as far as Toby, then you then you got to be a night Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did like to stay up at night, but not until four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. time is four a.m. for the market? It's always four a.m. Would be uh, the market would be closing at four p.m. Okay. You're twelve hours. That's wild. Yeah, twelve hours is heavy. Jesus. Um, moving to a crazy topic here, just really quickly. Have you guys heard about um, Bob Lee getting stabbed? Oh, yeah, 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 I just I just read about that. I was like, oh my. Oh uh, man, I could say some stuff about San Francisco. It's just yeah, I, I read a few articles, but there's not a lot of um specifics. But I'm I'm with you on that because when last I was there a few years ago and I went down a few streets where I felt like I was gonna get stabbed and it was so sketchy. Mm -hmm. So I'm like you know, do you know where you were? I could probably guess. It was, times, but it was somewhere outside the, um, I don't know, somewhere downtown. I don't even remember. Like Tenderloin, probably? Maybe. Yeah. We walked to uh, Ashbury, that intersection, that really famous street. <laughs> yeah, I hate Ashbury. Hate is a tourist. I was the uh, total tourist. Yeah, no, hate is cool. Um from i haven't actually been over there in a long time but from what i hear it's gotten a lot worse everything in the city has gotten a lot worse since covid like it wasn't great before covid but it was okay it was mostly just um like colorful i would describe it as uh kind of colorful interesting weird um but i wouldn't say like unsafe especially during the day but now 
even during the day it's like really bad in a lot of spots like there are places that i just don't i won't go even during the day at all uh and even oh I'll, I'll, I'll drive in the city and i'm always on edge about like where i park am i going to have all my windows when i get back um it's like it no matter where you are in the city that's an option like you might just get broken into people just go down a line of cars parked on the street break all the windows just see if anything's in there um so it's, it's pretty it's gotten to be pretty bad and the city just doesn't do anything about it the police force um intentionally don't do anything they were protesting the da that was elected because they don't like them and so they weren't even like responding to calls because they pro they were protesting the da and it's like you're the you're the police do your job um yeah it's yeah it's gotten to be pretty yeah. bad that's probably yeah. one of the most like income inequality places mm -hmm. in america and like it's funny that that's probably taken the biggest downfall 10 years ago <laughs> san francisco is like fucking top five yeah. all american city now like no one wants to go there well, it's so expensive. And with COVID and people being able to work remotely, like the financial district and the tech areas have basically just like they're a ghost town. No one's there anymore. Businesses have gone out of business. Um, offices are closing because there's there's two types of companies. There's the one that's like, we're going to force our employees to come into the office because that's what you're supposed to do, which is ridiculous. Um, and then there's the other types that are just clearing out. And so there's like half the amount of people there that there used to be. Um, there's no policing. And so it's not a bad city to be homeless in as far as like climate and not getting thrown in jail for doing whatever you want. Um, like there's needles and feces on the street in many places. Um, so yeah, it's gotten to be pretty bad and it has me really interested in like going out and living in the country or exploring another country for some time. Yeah, some little bit in the country would be nice. Mm -hmm. Colby, how's how's your area? You're, oh, well, you're I live in like a dead ghost town from like the 1800s, basically. Like <laughs> my town's called Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Well, so yeah, like uh, like we were one of the biggest towns back whenever steel was like a thing and like coal mining we were like wow. the t fast one of the fastest growing cities like in america at the time and then carnegie like went to pittsburgh and because all the rivers mm -hmm. can the join in pittsburgh and then took all the business from here and then our whole town just died and it's just been that way since but i like it that way <laughs> i guess there's a lot of opportunity to like set up shop in a way and it's so cheap. Like for me right now, like that's all I really want is just extremely cheap living. But yeah, that's yeah. that's awesome. If your living expenses are low, it you just have so much more opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I was just looking at some pictures. It actually looks really, um, really cool somehow. Look at it. You can well, see this. Are you see kind the steel of in the mountains? Oh yeah, kind cool. of. Yeah, it has these these like right down here. There's like a bunch those are of all steel. Yeah, steel mills. Yeah, and you got this this um dude. That's the number one. That's the steepest incline plane in the world, baby. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So <laughs> we got in Johnstown, PA. <laughs> um, that's your tourist attraction. Yeah, man. 
Lake Como come from all has over the place. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like this. I uh, so I'm not going to be at Lake Como because it's kind of out. Unless you like land in Milan, it's pretty out of the way for anything. But I'll be spending one night at Lake Garda, which is cool. I've never been to either of those lakes. Lake Garda is really, uh, really nice. My mom is obsessed with that. Um, mm -hmm. it, we stayed here, and then there's like a one of these Funica Lores. It's very similar to get to the top. Um, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, Funica a little Lore. similar. I guess it's not as steep as the Johnstown one, but uh, <laughs> there we go. Those are cool. So our incline plane was built because we had one of the biggest floods in U.S. history in 1889. That's funny because when I when I type this in, it's like the <laughs> yeah. it's like the first search term. Click on yeah. that, bro. It's crazy. It's wild. Because you're you're oh, in that wow. little valley. It's literally a bowl. Like our whole town yeah. is a bowl shape. And there's like a dam that's in South Fork, I think is what it's called. And the dam was run by people who own the steel mills, like Carnegie and all those people. And they all they used it as like a private personal like lake that they made, man-made. And they mm -hmm. the dam though was like being damaged over time and all these rich guys that live there they didn't want to fix it and then eventually the dam just cut it just broke down and then all that water just flushed through the valley and killed like two thousand people oh my god That's too bad about their lake yeah seriously nothing even happened to them. they didn't even get nothing yeah, happened to them, sure. but... no i believe it wow yeah that's, that's crazy. um that's a bit buck wild huh crazy dude a lot to learn <laughs> <laughs> we're getting super off topic but i guess that kind of summarizes <laughs> the conditions of the markets lately huh yeah been okay the last That's true. the beginning so. this week was okay and last yeah week. uh monday and tuesday actually ended up pretty pretty solid days for me um definitely not easy or clean i started off at least i can't i think monday maybe was pretty clean and good for me but tuesday and when yesterday wednesday i started off pretty solidly red before climbing out of that and going green it's been it's better bad. than yeah. uh like two weeks ago when it was just the banking news going on so at least it's picked up a little bit since then <clears throat> but it's definitely not easy yeah yeah everything's been difficult in large caps as well mm-hmm yeah, I feel the same. Um, yeah, Colby, what what's going on with the like anything that stands out in the large caps? Anything you're waiting for? You've noticed trends? I mean, last week the market was up four percent in one week. So when the market opened this week, we started pretty strong, and then um, I mean, I kind of wanted to talk about how interesting it is if you like are a large cap trader and you want to really know where the momentum is. Like, you have to look at the sectors within uh, the market. So this nothing really big happened, but I could just go over just something real quick that I wanted to. Yeah, please. Because this has been like a game changer for me. And I feel like if you're trading large caps, you have to do what I'm about to talk about. You guys see, this is, yeah. So this was Monday. I like those bubbles. <laughs> This is Monday, the price action. So we opened up big rally at the open and then just random like massive failure right here. Like this drop was twice as fast as the climb. So obviously whenever you see a drop like that, we broke below the opening price. I was like, okay, I want to short this thing. I tried to short it like three times, lost like 50 bucks and stopped. 
But if you look at the sectors, like they explain why this happened. So the top are all defensive uh, sectors and the bottom are offensive sectors, which means whenever the market is going to go higher, you think you buy offensive stocks like technology, um, consumer discretionary, communication services. And at the open, you can see how like all the defensives were kind of selling off and then the offensives were also just flat and the market was ripping higher. So how is the market ripping higher whenever six of the most important sectors in the market are pretty much moving lower? Well, I think that's what caused this big drop. You know, like the sectors were not confirming what was happening in the spy and it just sold off huge and then immediately found a bottom and started moving higher. Yeah, it was just like a fake out pretty much. And you can tell like all these found bottoms as well. Like they sold off with that sell off at the beginning, but then they just kind of stayed flat mostly for the rest of the day. And like, yeah, it's just, it's just really interesting to, to look at the sectors because they just tell you way more than the, the stock itself is going to tell you. So here's Tuesday, big sell-off right at the open. We went down like probably 50 points from like the pre-market high. And I got a decent little short on it, but I kind of sold too early. But um, this is a perfect example. So like the defensives up top, Mm -hmm. all selling off like this is a uh, staples staples and healthcare are usually the number one ones i'm looking at because utilities are just not that big of a section of the market so you, uh, the staples are moving lower uh the healthcare is moving lower all of the offenses are also moving lower so if you have five of the six of the most important sectors in the market all moving lower what do you think is going to happen the spy is going to fucking rip down like hard and that's exactly what happened like a big sell-off then this is a great example of the sell-off not being strong enough, right? So here we get another, this is yesterday, the sell-off happens in the morning, but it's not like a 40, 50 point sell-off. It's only like 20 points. So you're like, okay, well, why will this, why is this not selling off like it was yesterday? Well, look at the defensives up here. They were just moving higher steadily while the offenses were just finding bottoms all day, right? right? So they found a bottom like pretty quickly after selling off like right around noon. And if the, if the offensives found a bottom and they're moving flat and the defensives are still moving up, that is not enough to make this market sell off 50 points. The market will just stay kind of rangy and flat for the rest, for most of the day. Today is another example of the same thing happening where you have all the sectors right at the open. They were selling off, right? We have staples up here selling off. Utilities were flat. Healthcare was flat. But then look at all of the risk on sectors. They, were, they found a bottom immediately at the open. So the, the market sold off, but I saw that these found a bottom already. And same with the queues. Well, AI is another one too, like ripped right off the open and it's been selling off for two days straight. So if AI is moving higher, then the market is probably going to move higher too. Jeez, that's laggy as hell. QQQ. Look at this. The Qs made a new low. They broke below yesterday's low and then they just ripped higher. So right when this ripped up like that, I took a long on the SPY and made like five points. I took another long and made like five points, but nice. whenever the market's selling off, like I don't want to go long. You're, you'd think, oh, go short when the market's selling off, right? Well, not if every, not if the, the main sector of risk, which is the QQQ, just ripped off the lows like that. The cues basically were saying, hey, the spy is about to rip right now and you have like two seconds to get in. So I got in and I just like rode that little move. But 
in general, like before I was looking at sectors, I would never do that because you don't fight the trend whenever you trade large mm -hmm. caps. So like, I thought Definitely. it was really cool because I had like more of a, I had more confidence fighting the trend today because of viewing the market from like an internal perspective rather than saying like, here's 500 companies. Let's just see what the price action is. Like, no, I'm going to look at every sector of those companies, see what their price action is, you know? So I just thought it was really interesting and like a cheat code if you're trading indices. I love <clears throat> rejection plays basically. Um, like, especially on small caps, a, uh, like a bear trap. That's probably one of my top two favorite trades to take. And that's essentially what the market did on that example yep. you just gave. It tries to re reject uh, a higher level. It tries to break down through that. That breakdown gets rejected. And then that's pretty telling because especially mm -hmm. on longer time frames with that slower type of move on the overall market, like think about what that turns into. It's just a huge bottoming tail with a lot of buying volume. It couldn't be a more clear upside signal. Yeah, like you got to think of the market is this is an auction. Like we are looking at an auction play out and we're putting it price over time. And the auction mm -hmm. is like, what do you think the fair value is of this stock? And if the stock tries to right. go below yesterday's low, that's why I have every every uh, like important part from yesterday. I'll have yesterday's high, yesterday's low, yesterday's close, yesterday's open. All those levels are basically the daily candle, right? Because if the daily candle has a big wick, comes down, fills it, whatever, I'm mapping out those levels and those are where institutions are going to be buying and selling the stock. So on the queues, perfect example, it breaks below yesterday's low right at the open. And people are going to say, oh, we're below yesterday's low. Let's short it. They short it and it rips higher, fakes them all out. <clears> and then they get it stopped re out. reclaims yesterday's low. And now it's moving up to yesterday's high. So, you know, clearly yeah. that price, while it was trying to break down, that auction price was too cheap and people want to buy that shit now and they're going to do it. And that's what causes that violent move to the upside. But it's on tricky. All those, on all those levels that you're mapping out, are you doing that daily manually? Yeah. So I have, uh, so on TOS, I have pre-market high, pre-market low, yesterday's high, yesterday's low, previous day close and opening print. I have all those levels on on studies that I found online. Okay, but then cool. for the futures, though, I have to do it manually because the futures close at 6 p.m. So the values are different and they're not correct because uh, uh, TOS is basing it like off the futures market. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I know TradingView, uh, the charting software online, you can put like daily, uh, previous day close and do that all just automatically. I want, mm -hmm. do you, you don't get, um, Whenever I have too many lines and stuff on my chart, I find that I just don't pay attention to any of them. Do you have that too? Um, so yes and no. I Whenever I notice that I'm not paying attention, then I definitely go <clears throat> in and I delete a lot of shit <clears throat> because I'm like, okay, if, yeah. like at my end of the day review, if I look at the, the chart and I'm like, holy shit, we went through pre-market low and immediately rejected and went higher like a fake out bear trap and I didn't even see that, then that's a problem. Cause I need like trading it. We're not traders because we're going to just go out here and take a thousand setups all day. Like we're fucking hunting. Like this is the whole point. Like you have to sit here focused as fuck, like a hundred percent focused at every second of the day for five hours, eight hours straight and wait for that one chance where your, your risk reward is good and you have a high positive expected value. And that's, like if you're missing those levels, that's like a really bad.
So I have like moving averages on here, but I don't really use them for other <laughs> than seeing how much they're fanned out. Like if the moving averages are really fanned out and all moving in the same direction, that's like extreme momentum because you know, if they're fanning out, that means we're just getting more and more extended from like the 20 EMA and the 50 EMA. So we're just going higher and higher and higher. But even all those, all those indicators though, they don't mean shit unless I have my market internals happening first, right? Like the indicators are cool because yeah. you can, whatever, you can use them sometimes for like maybe an entry. But like, if you're using right. any indicator for any kind of trade idea and that's it, you have one indicator, I'm long now because MACD's bullish. Yeah, yeah. it'll work today. It'll not work tomorrow. Then it'll work again the next day. And then it won't work the next day. And it's just like, yeah. That's, I feel that's like... a really interesting point. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think that, you know, especially anybody learning, they're trying to figure out like, what's the holy grail indicator that like, and I think about when I was really learning like a few weeks, a few months into my trading journey. Um, I remember doing stuff. I was like, when the nine EMA crosses the 20 EMA, then I take the trade and then why isn't it working out? And then I started understanding that volume is important um, and stuff like that. But I see there's especially one guy on social media who, uh, man, he loves his indicators and he loves to sell them too. And it's mm. kind of obvious at this point is uh, it's the ready aim fire pro thing that like when this line yeah, crosses so this line it's this is ready for a squeeze or whatever and it's i yeah i think it's really dangerous to look at to to learn to trade relying on so many indicators because i think the way or one of the good ways to break out of like break even trading or not being profitable is to start to actually understand what is happening and why um and indicators can't tell you that all indicators are lagging except for exactly. time and sales or and level two that are actually telling you right this second what are the orders that are going through the market and how is it affecting the price because if i'm seeing a whole lot of, lot of green on the tape and the price isn't moving up i know that there's some other stuff going on and that's the more important thing is starting to understand like gfai is there a big hidden buyer like an institutional buyer who is propping this up that's it's just going to keep going um and i've been seeing all day these like 10 to 20,000 share bids and and offers in in and out of gfai i know that something is going on there i'm not totally sure what is happening but it seems to be trending and confirming to the long side um and there's like, if you're just looking at the nine EMA or the 20 EMA on the one minute or five minute, if you start to look at the 15 or 30 minute, it starts to clean up a little bit, but even the candlesticks and the patterns on the five or 15 minute are not clear at all. Mm -hmm. So just getting a deeper understanding of what is actually happening in the market, I think is so much more important than like, what, what's this indicator telling me? Yeah. Like price over time is the indicator. That's it. Price mm -hmm. over time. And that's a candle. Price and volume. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. it has to start with a high time frame and then you break it down from there. Mm. What's your yearly doing, monthly, whatever? And then you go, okay, since we're in an uptrend today, then you can start looking at your indicators. Are all those things confirming that idea? Is the MACD bullish? Are we above the moving averages? Are we above VWAP? Is the volume delta 3x long compared to short? You know, like all these things with large caps, it's like, what are the sectors doing first? If the sectors are saying it's going to be a risk-off day, well, what are the indicators saying? 
or the Mac is the MACD bearish and it's actually going to be a risk off is the tick negative below zero is the volume Delta negative five, you know, and it's five X sellers to buyers and you have 10 things line up. Okay. Well then you got an A plus setup. So yeah. Yeah. I also start on larger time frames, work my way in. Uh, I did want to, I didn't know, I didn't trade GFAI today. And I'm kind of butthurt about it because it's probably the best ticker be. today. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, look at it right now. It just popped from 14 to 15 and now it's back at 14.45 yeah. in the last three minutes. I, I usually don't trade midday, so I almost don't even regard what it does here. But like in, like in this aspect, it was kind of, I mean, if you compare this to like FOA, like what I was trading today, I mean, mm -hmm. GFA AI is almost a beauty, but still tricky. Uh, whoops, still tricky. But this is one of these setups here I just saw that I actually really, really like um, right here where we have kind of a double top popping up and mm -hmm. volume has been fading. So we've been getting that first leg consolidation, possible second leg. And then here we have a nice five minute breakout, one minute pullback. These are like one of my best setups. Um, and it has that perfect pullback right in that double top zone. Just kind of notice that. That little bottom at 1030, if you pull up the AI, that same stock, that sector mm -hmm. ETF AI, it's the same. They bought them at the exact same time. Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So I should have had AI up maybe at, oh yeah, right here at 1030. They um, both hit VWAP and moved higher. It's nice. This is actually pretty clean relative price action too. And this is a very strong um, kind of first stair forming. Quite, quite bullish. But, you know, when you look at the daily, then you're like, mm, is there really going to be continuation on this one? I I don't know. That's a big shooting star. Yeah. Probably on the, on the mm -hmm. weekly or monthly. That, that company or sector, whatever the hell it is, is so lucky that they got that name AI, because if it was not mm -hmm. AI, they would not be doing shit. So I, I read this really interesting study years ago, and it was like, they compared all the stocks by their ticker and like tickers that were <laughs> like words or easy to remember, like AI or, you know, yeah. SPCE, uh, yeah. which is space or like coin. Like these companies, they tend to outperform based on their ticker alone, uh, which mm -hmm. I thought was really, really interesting. Like if it's more of a fun ticker to say, easy to remember, they actually, those tend to outperform. That makes That's sense. not surprising at all to me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, It's, it's really funny whenever we have like, I don't know if you guys have probably seen it at this point, like eyes is a ticker. I think it's E-Y-E-Z. There's eyes, there's ears, they'll yep, frequently yep. run oh, together. Yeah. There's pets and dogs, both with a Z. It's hilarious. I remember eyes. Yeah, we traded that one. Yeah. No, eyes is eyes is with an S, actually. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw it just now. I'll share my screen here. Um yeah, there's eyes so many times pets and dogs. I don't know if my ticker, um, sometimes trades don't show up on, actually most of the time trades don't show up on TOS, but I remember trading this ticker yeah. so many times. Look, I even have an alert from way up here. God only knows mm -hmm. how to place that. Dude, I remember trading that stock, so that shit must have been mm -hmm. a long time ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we definitely traded it in 2021, but I think we traded mm -hmm. it uh, in 2019 quite a bit as well. I mean, it has a lot of these one-day poppers, 2018. 
I was doing a lot of trading back in like 2015 for a bit. And then I took a huge break when I did my road trip. Yeah. Toby, do you have anything you want to share? <laughs> I'm about to fall asleep. Um, <laughs> I know it's so late always. Um, no, I, this week's been interesting. I started out Monday pretty simple, easy trades, didn't take too many, had a nice green day. And then Tuesday was almost a complete disaster. I got, I was down by like 2,500 bucks and then crawled my way out to about minus 300 by the end of the day. And then yesterday I had a kind of interesting, it wasn't too different, different from Danny's chart. It looked like it started out <laughs> a little bit green, went way red and then came out and ended up green for the day. I was, that was I started that was up funny, like sharing those a couple hundred and then I was down like 450 and then I ended the day up like 500 or something. Oh my we had God. like the exact same day yesterday. That was kind of, at least it was sort of entertaining. Yeah, it was funny for sure. And then <laughs> today I'm, I'm down 170 bucks, but I was down about 1200 at my lowest. some serious drawbacks are are you are there any realizations any any new learning since since our last call about those drawbacks how you want to reduce uh them? yeah just getting aggressive on i need to stay more on front side i'm getting kind of annoyed and then just trying tr trying to trade backside to catch a pop or something and i just need to be a little more hands-off because then i won't get myself in that much trouble i know it so those are i know that's where my mistakes are coming from but um what i'm really excited about is usually when there's a big spread ticker that's popping hard i wouldn't touch it because the spread was too big and i felt like the risk was always too high but i've been forcing myself to make those trades and forcing it with a little bit of size too um if i ever did touch it in the past it would be 50 shares 100 shares but i'm i'm punching it with 1500 shares i've been in some where i'm you know 3000 share size and getting after it and just you know, waiting for some nice pullbacks, looking for a place where it's going to, where I think it will bounce and then catching it. And it's been working out really well. Um, so at least I'm not so scared about getting into some of these, these big name tickers that, you know, run like three, four five dollars Because I mean, there's a lot of potential there. I used to always just stay away from them, but now I can, I've been dipping my toes in there and taking trades on them every day and uh you know we've had some good opportunities on some of these tickers this week like gfai i know some people won't trade that because the spread is pretty nasty and if you get it on the wrong side you're you're down you know 30 cents before you like if you mm -hmm. if you uh buy the buy the bid and you're, you're down like or you get filled on the ask you're going to be down and the bid's all the way down it doesn't come back up you're down like 30 cents before you even start the trade yeah, that was that was something that I was noticing a lot today on GFAI was that the bid was not catching up to price action. The bid would drop out a lot. And then the spread was already 10 to 15 cents, just like in normal trading. So when the bid drops out, like, like just like you said, you'd be looking at potentially holding 30 cents above the bid and, you know, hoping that price action catches up. 
And if it doesn't, it drops down. You're you're forty five cents in the hole already. Yeah. And you're like, ooh, that's a like, ooh. I didn't uh, mean to be in this position, did I? <laughs> but I think honestly, on GFAI, probably seventy percent, eighty percent of my trades have been green. So I've that's done a solid. pretty good job managing it. And I started trading it right out of the hall. And that was where I made my first trade on it. And I've been trading it pretty consistently all the way through now. And I'm I'm not up a lot, but like you know, almost $600 on it right now. So that's pretty much got me back to break even. That's solid. I actually find that my accuracy is like really, really low lately, like 50%. But also my long-term results over the past like six months or so have been more consistent than ever. And I think it's mostly just because I'm getting in at the spot that I think is like the right spot to be in. And if it doesn't do what I thought it was going to do, I'll cut it right away and I'll book like a one or a two or a five cent loss. But when it works out, which is, I guess, about half the time, it's like a 10, 20, 30, 50 cent win. So that's been kind of interesting for me to see. It's definitely not how I always had traded before. I used to rely on like 65, 75% accuracy. And it's I feel like I'm doing something similar too. It's like I'm putting out a uh, lot more starters or something. <laughs> yeah. Just like a lot of more feelers just to see what, how the trades are going to work out. And I don't know. I'm making, I, I still think I'm making too many trades, but um, yeah, my action I am. definitely dropped a little bit because I think I'm just kind of shooting at a lot of things. I'm shooting at things a little more often than I normally would and trying to cut the, the ones that I don't feel comfortable in or aren't right quickly. Yeah. And, if it starts to move, I, I try to hold it as long as I can. One thing that I discovered at the end of last week, which I'm sure we haven't talked about, because um, I didn't look at these stats until the end of last week, but in March, I was comparing my overall pro profits with long versus short trades. Yeah. And I had a decent red day last Friday. Um before last Friday, I was sitting at like plus 4,300 long, plus 4,100 short. Um, I was read like 700 last Friday. So I actually ended the month of March at like 3,600 green on the long side and 4,100 green on the short side, which I really didn't expect. I knew that I had been hitting some good trades short, but I didn't expect that it was going to be more than my longs. But what I found really interesting was that my shorts was... Um, literally 10% of the trading that I was doing to the long side. Oh, and wow. that's crazy. Yeah, it was, I had traded like 300,000 some shares long and I traded like 30,000 some shares short and had more profit. Um, accuracy was actually the same, like 50%. But I think it might've also just been part of like state of the market. I was holding some of those shorts for like 15 minutes just because it continued going. Um, but I just thought that that was really interesting. And I was thinking about that and like, I know that I'm trading more than I need to be. So I'm just trying to consider that I would much rather take less trades with bigger share size. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you guys. If you think that like personally, your problem is more of like a sizing problem or an overtrading problem. A little bit of both for me, I would say. I know that when I feel like I've made enough for the day or I've gotten a good chunk out of it, I'm happy with that and I'm much less likely to overtrade. Mm -hmm. But if I'm hitting 
what I would consider small wins and like making some progress, giving some back, I'm way more likely to just continue hammering away at it where, so I know that one thing that I uh, want to be working on is just taking less trades and better trades with bigger share size. Cause it's, it does a lot of good for me. Number one, I get a lot more profit out of those trades that go well. So I feel like I don't need to just continue sitting down and trading and hammering away at the day. Um, and actually kind of contrary to what you might think it's, it is actually less stressful yeah. for me because when I, when I get in on my best setups at the spot that I think is right with bigger size, it's not stressful. It's like, I've taken this trade so many times and I know that almost always it works out for me. So like, I'm really confident in this trade and having the share size. So that's definitely something that I'm trying to keep in mind. Um, yeah, I want to just bring up this real quick. This is basically from Lance Breitstein, this dude that I'm obsessed with. That's a trader. Oh, yeah. And he, uh, I basically just rewrote this post that he already kind of talked about just so I could like internalize what he's saying of the importance of this. So there's four types of setups you could possibly take. Obviously, this is all just like theory, but it's all about math, really. Uh, mm -hmm. So A quality setups, you have a 90% win rate on them, right? But the problem is they only happen 1% of the time. Mm -hmm. And then on the opposite end, you have a D quality setup. You have a 40% win rate, but they're happening all damn day. All day, you can take D quality setups. And there's three ways that you can bet in like strategy games of like that involve like gambling, basically. Mm -hmm. You can bet equal. So you bet one contract for your A quality setups and you bet one contract for your D quality setups. If you do that, you are not a profitable trader. It's impossible mm -hmm. because you take so many D quality setups that if you're only betting one contract or one size, one share, whatever, and you're doing the same thing with your A quality setups, you're not accounting for the fact that your A quality setup has a 90% win rate. So you can't win if you're betting equally on every single type of setup. Mm -hmm. Inversely, you can do a linear version of that. So let's say on your A quality setups, you're betting four contracts and your D quality setups, you're betting one only. Still the same amount of opportunities. There's only one A quality setup or whatever per month or whatever. And there's 90 D quality setups. In this scenario, you're, you're profitable, but there's a way better way, which is exponential bet sizing. So this is not linear because you're not going one, two, three, four. We're going, we're doubling it every single time. And this is what Ross Cameron is a beast at. So mm -hmm. you, on your D quality setups, you have only one contract, but on your A quality setups, you have eight X that size. And since you have a 90% win rate, that's what justifies it. And then that's whenever you actually make like good amounts of money, right? And if you don't do that in some aspect or some, some shape form, maybe that, Maybe instead of on a, maybe on a D quality setup, you'll take your profits faster on your A quality setup. You'll hold it longer. Well, if you bet equally in that scenario, you still can make money, which is probably what we would do mostly, right? Like we're, I wouldn't say that I'm exponentially bet sizing on my A plus setups. I'm just holding my winners really long whenever they're really good. So that's why I can make money, but it's not a lot of money. You know, mm -hmm. the people who are making a lot of money are the ones who see that A quality setup and they're doing like 10X. They just load into it. A couple of the guys in our chat and our group definitely are good at that. They just slam yeah. the shares. If it looks good, just buy, 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 buy. 
That's yeah. really interesting. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think that that kind of touches on the more advanced side of trading that takes a lot of experience because um, number one, for someone who's newer to the market, you don't know what your A, B, C, D quality setups are. And it takes a lot of time to develop that because the market is not consistent. The same setup might work, you know, obviously depending on the probability one time and it doesn't work the other time and you don't totally know why. So it can be, there's inconsistent reward, but over time, enough time, you start to get that understanding. And then so you have that understanding, but then figuring out the sizing is a whole nother component of it. It's yeah. that's really interesting to see though. Whenever yeah, I watch that video, when I watch that video, that's what prompted me to to really go and and go really deep in depth on all of my reviews mm -hmm. every day. Like at the end of every day, I want to know every fucking trade I took. And that, that's what made me trade a lot less because I was taking like yeah. 25 trades and I'd be like, I have to go over every fucking trade. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And I would do it. And then you're like, wow, 19 out of 25 of these trades were totally pointless waste of time and just ruined my emotional state of mind. Right. So like now when I go over my trades, I know every setup, I know every single thing I'm doing. I know why I took it. How many you know, whenever I have 10 indicators all saying the same exact thing, and that's an A quality setup because we're breaking out on the daily time frame and all that shit, that's when I know. And then this week, I've been trying a lot more whenever I see those setups to just add into them. And the problem with adding is like a lot of people will want to add, like they'll get in and they'll be down just a little bit. And then they'll be like, oh, this still looks good, but I'm flat on the position. So I'm going to add into it. No, you don't do that yet. Like you want to wait for you to know that you're probably like for trading, I'm looking for 10 points in the spy. Once I'm up five points, that's where a lot of like people that I trade with and people I know in the futures, they'll just sell their position because five points, that's 50 cents in the spy. The spy moves like $2 a day. 50 cents of $2 is pretty good for a day. But if you want to be like a higher level, you need to get up, you need to get 10 points in the futures, which is like one point on the spy. So whenever I'm up five points, that's when I'm thinking to myself, okay, what am I, is this trade going to get to 10 points? And if it is, I need to figure out where the fuck I'm going to add this second contract. Cause if I only have one, there's no point of just holding that to 10 points. If it's an A quality setup, I need to be sizing up more. And that's, that's one of the next, like, I know my setups now, but now I need to learn how to add into trades, which is just like a whole nother skill in itself. Yeah. That's, that's really hard. interesting. I like that a lot. Can you send the link to that write up? Yeah. Yeah, I'll send it in the insiders. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like that's where I am in my journey right now is like just internalizing that. I know what my best setups are. There's probably two of them. There's those bear traps and false halts to the downside that work out almost every time. And I know that, and I know that I need to be sizing up on it. And when you hit those bigger winners on your A quality setups, it just so greatly outweighs any of the other smaller trades that are either green or red. Um, and Ross actually did put out a video pretty much on this a couple weeks ago about, um, it was that five or the, the 25 rule or the 520 rule, um, where basically he was just looking into his trading and, uh, he found that 20% of his entire year came from like 10 trading days. Yeah. Which is, which is about. What is that? There's 250 trading days. So 10% mm -hmm. of that would be 25 good days of the year. So he's basically yeah. making 20% of all of his money from 5% of 
of the year. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and and that, the whole, and that down to each day too, like that, or each week. And then it it makes you really yeah. think, like, what am I doing on each specific day? Does it make sense to hammer away uh, on this stuff that's really not that good, or should I just save my energy? Like, shout out to Tom Triad Trading in a Discord. Like, he, it was Tuesday, I think, and gfa or something was moving and he was he's in my discord too and he was just saying like there's actual small cap momentum i don't know if it was monday tuesday or whatever day that was maybe it was yeah. monday but i just said to him i was like hey man like because he has a job now and he's not trading as much and i said like size up if you see that setup happening and you know that this is like an a quality setup for you and because you need to make all that money back for all the trades you've been taking for the last two months on just like D quality setups, trying to make like 20 bucks a day. And Tom yeah. made like $380 on Monday or Tuesday. And it's like, that was a perfect example of when the opportunity is there, you have to capitalize on it because it only exists for a small period of time. And that's where mm -hmm. like the professional trader steps in where it's like, yeah, you need to see that shit the second it happens. Because if you're on the day two, well, you're just getting the leftovers of all the people that already took the move, you know, like in options, like if I bought a, if I bought a $4 spy call today and the spy moves up five points and I sell it at 10 and there's people tomorrow, they're like, Oh, yesterday was a green day. I'm going to buy a spy call. Right. They're, they're buying my sell for $10 compared to four. You know, it's like, yeah. I feel like that's where I'm at in my career right now is I've, I have definitely done a good job limiting a lot of like the D quality and even C quality trading. I still need to do more on that and I need to do more of that. And I need to focus on sizing up into the A's. Yeah. I'm, I'm right That's there with it. you. I'm right there. I feel like I was so close to really nailing that like a year and a half ago before mm -hmm. the market dried up. And then yeah. I've been like, Oh, okay, I'm going to start sizing, but I think I started sizing on like D quality setups and then I'd get slapped in the face. And then there was the A quality setup, but I only did like half size and then I sized up again and then boom. So I, I had like a lot of sizing issues in the last year, year and a half, but like right, right before that phase, like I was really sizing into some really nice winners and, you know, I have like a 2k profit and stuff like that. So I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. In a way, that's our whole job as traders is just refine that process until it's a point where you literally see D quality setups and you don't take them at all because you don't care. You see a C quality yeah. setup, you do it with just super small size because you just don't give a shit. You know you're not going to make a lot of money from that. And then you get to the A and B and you're just like smashing the ask, you know, Smash, through whatever you yeah. have to do. I was doing a better job of that in like January, February, and then March... March was just super dry. And I think I got a little bit bored. Yeah. I feel the same way where like, I feel like I've been taking off so much. I feel like I'm like, am I even a trader anymore? Like that's how mm -hmm. much I, I even haven't. Okay. I've been taking off a lot of days. Then also even when I'm trading, I'm like, there's no opportunity. So I don't really size and I don't really, I have like five trades. It just feels really weird. And part of me is like, I just feels like I have to wait for a little bit more consistency in the market to really double down. I don't really mind waiting because I feel like it's a good kind of practice and resting and, you know, I'll know when to get aggressive again. I just don't feel like right now is necessarily the time, but I do want to work on sizing already because there are opportunities and I am letting yeah. quite a few slip through my fingers. So, you know, um, 
it's already, let's see, like, I think we're just around, right around an hour. Does anyone have anything else they want to share? Maybe a game plan going forward? Any other thoughts um, before we wrap up? I think I'm all set, probably. Um, if you trade, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I was just going to say, if you trade the SPY, start looking at the sectors, please. Yeah. Because that is extremely important. But I was uh, I was going through your um, daily report card from yesterday. <laughs> and uh, you were talking about like getting in the trade correct, but then taking a loss on it or something. I was, uh, yeah. So a lot of the time I have an idea about what I'm thinking, like, oh, we're in a uptrend. I'm going to get long and a higher low and then I'll get long and I'll stop out. And then right when I stop out, I get back in and I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? I don't need to take five trades in the same thesis. I need to take one trade and give myself more room on it. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I'd rather take one trade with a 10 point stop loss than five trades with a two point stop loss. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was also thinking though, like, you know, you can, you can, you get yourself into some like good winners, <clears throat> but then they'll come back on you and then they kind of disappear. But if you kind of have like a, I was thinking if you could have like a, you know, a stop loss, trailing stop loss and just keep throwing it on the pivots, you know, stay a pivot away all the time. You give yourself a lot of room, but maybe you would uh, cut some of those losses down. That's the thing too, is like a lot of me and my friends all the time, that's all we're talking about because I think it was probably four or five months ago, whenever I got in, I would hold so many of my winners just to target and that's it. And then I would sell all my losers yeah. to my stop loss and I would make 50 cents or lose 50 cents on every trade. And like, there's something fundamentally flawed in that. If you mm -hmm. have a winning trade, you cannot just sell because you made 50 cents or you're up whatever $50. Yeah. Like that is a fundamentally wrong idea. Like, and then uh, my friends, so to fix that, I was like, well, at least now I'm holding because before I'd make 50 cents or lose 50 cents, I'd make like 20 on my winners and lose 50 on my losers. So I still was improving a little bit, but now I'm to the point where I want to find my risk what is my reward, which has the reward has to always stay fluid, right? That's the hardest part. So if I'm getting in on a higher low, I'll risk the previous higher low, right? And if we break that, well, if that's a lower low, we're going to be downtrending now. So the risk is usually always very like just solid. Like that's my stop period, right? If this breaks, this pattern is dead, I'm out. But my reward has to stay fluid. And that's where it gets really tricky because I've had many trades where I'll be up seven, eight points. And they flip on me and I'll lose two, right? And that sucks. But you know what really sucks? Being up seven points, it coming to your stop, your break even, right? And you're like, shit, this is going to go red on me. You panic out and it goes right down where you thought in the first place. I would much rather take a two-point loser because I know that that idea was wrong, right? I was wrong on this trade, period. I had the wrong thesis compared to, oh, I took a, my trade because I panicked out, right? I don't yeah. want to be panicking because i went from up up 50 dollars to break even again that's not a reason to sell if your thesis is correct you hold but if that you have a seven trade. point winner you can't take a two point loser that happened on monday i had an I eight know, point you winner can't, you, can't, you can't be taking a two point loser if you're up seven points but the the problem is if you start moving your stop around then you start panicking all the time like my friend gone he'll watch the one minute chart and the other yesterday he was in a trade, he was up like seven points on it and it bounces like two points 
from him being up seven. So he's still up five and he's like, Oh, you know, maybe I should sell like the volume looks big. And like, Oh, this looks like a fake out bottom. And I'm like, bro, go to the five minute, go to the 10 minute, go to the 30 minute. It's a clean ass downtrend. You're holding this trade. And he held the trade and he made like 11 points on it instead of, you know, whatever. But like, you can, it's hard because I do that all the time. And like my whole strategy now is very dependent on setting my stop and then letting my target be a little bit fluid. And like, I, I do agree. Once you get to like 10 points, you should not be taking a loss on that trade, but it's really tricky because how do you maximize your winners if it's not a set value, right? Um, well, you, like you said, you keep a fluid, a fluid um, exit until you maximize, trying to maximize your gain. But at the same time, you also have to reduce your risk. So you have to have some mm -hmm. kind of trailing stop loss, at, you know, even if it's two pivots away. So it has to dip a lot, but will still keep you from taking a two-point loss. There should be no reason to take a two-point loss if you're seven points up. Can't this yeah. is something that Mark Douglas talks about a little bit in trading in the zone, which is basically just one of the hardest skills as a trader is to actually book profits and how important it is, um, which is interesting because one of the things that I enjoy more about taking bigger size is I feel happier to take some of my position off because I'm like... I can take some position off when I'm up 10 cents or so, and I still have plenty of position when I think it's going to keep going, but at least I'm at booking some profit if it comes right back down. I agree with that. Bigger size makes you just a better trader in general. I hate trading small size. I feel like I'm wasting yeah. time. Um, yeah. And not just because of the P&L, just because like it limits my trading ability. Um, and then... I think the last thing I would add to all that, which I, I agree with so much of this is just, um, you got to know your market, right? Like mm -hmm. only, um, guns was, you know, shorting and there was a downtrend, right? And right now we're just in a kangaroo market, which tends to take the elevator down and the stairs up. So it's like mm -hmm. holding longer in that case for him makes a lot of sense. Um, for us, a small cap, oftentimes long bias traders, Right now, it's like you get your green and like it's usually as good as it gets. There's not a lot of continuation. So in the end of the day, it's like you have to know the market as well. And that's kind of what we talked about in the beginning of this, of this pod is like, you know, start on the larger time frame, know your macros, know what's going on, uh, because that's that's really where everything comes down to at one point or at the beginning. That's yeah. where the foundation did is. You, did you call it a kangaroo market? That's what they said yeah. on CNBC, and I, it's, it is. I, I loved it. I loved it. Really? Yeah. Oh man, that's hilarious. What does that even mean? <laughs> Just up and bouncing down. up and down. Up and that's down, it. I guess it's not trending. Yeah, that's funny. But something that does actually change that, like Toby, if I'm up seven points and I'm losing on that trade, the another thing is like if I could use multiple contracts then that would mitigate that that problem. Like if I could take yeah. four contracts and take three off at eight I guess points, I, have, 10 I need points. to keep that in mind too because, yeah, you're kind of limited because I only have you, one, can't, yeah. you can't take oh, a, time to size a contract again? off. This is my problem with sizing, right? Okay, so obviously I don't give a fuck if I make $50 on the day, okay? But the problem is 10 points on the SPY is fucking good, okay? If you look at any fucking SPY trader, they're going to tell you 10 points is pretty damn good. So if I'm making 10 points every day and that's $50, that's fine, whatever. It's not going to make me enough money where it's going to do anything for me emotionally. But the thing is, like, every single time I ever size up, 
I'm sizing up because I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna use two contracts now. Well, the problem is if I'm yeah. taking two contracts and I'm in my first trade of the, of the week is a D quality setup. Yeah. Goodbye, you know, goodbye that money that I work hard for, for, you know, so like my whole idea now is identify the A quality setups. Like on Monday, I, I sized, I added into a winner, right? And that's the kind of shit that I want to be way better at. Like when I'm up, add into it, take it at 10 points, you know, or whatever. Let the reward be more fluid. And then as I do that over time, I'll just get better and better at it. But I do think like no one should be entering every single trade with a thousand shares, no matter like, like what we just said, this, that simple, simple math explains the whole idea that you can't do that. It just doesn't work. Like, unless you're obviously holding your winners for a long time <clears throat> compared to your losers, then you can make money no matter what. But if you want to like get the actual legit profits from the market, you're going to have to size up into the A quality setup. So I think that that is probably a key point in why beginning traders, beginner traders are either break even or not profitable yeah. is because, I mean, I remember when I started trading, I was taking every trade with like 50 shares, a hundred shares. And you're, like you said, you're not going to make profit that way. There's like very statistically low chances that you're actually going to be making profit that way. But I think it, maybe it's good just for learning. Like you, you, especially with smaller size, you're not going to be losing too much money. And it kind of helps you to uh, generate an accuracy number for yourself and start to understand what those quality setups are. And then with that information, you can figure out maybe what you should be sizing bigger or smaller on. Yeah, like, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a straight up adult video game where we get to like mm. make money as the reward. And like, if you're not Crazy. using some kind of probability, some kind of statistics to, to do that, you're at a massive disadvantage. And mm. just knowing the fact that like, if you're going to take an A quality setup and you're not betting exponentially, like that's a big fucking problem. And like, yes, that does mean that at first, yeah, you take 50 shares on every single trade for a year and you identify every single setup that that is and you realize okay well i make money whenever i'm going for continuation trades instead of reversals so what does that mean that might be an a quality setup but you only have an a and a d quality setup you don't have the b and c you know like over time that's the whole the whole goal for us is just slowly refine our process slowly do that and me going from putting a 50 cent stop and a 50 cent target that was a long process that I did for like four or five months. And now I it's completely different and it's much more optimized so that I can maximize my reward and minimize my risk to the absolute, the smallest. And I'm going to learn how to add into it. So. <laughs> was it the flood? Uh, <laughs> you just had a perfect think, freeze. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think it, it might be also important to point out for any like very beginning people watching this that among even just the four of us our a quality setups are not going to be the same there is no like one objective a quality b quality setup it's specific to each person i i would say 100 percent. yeah like at the end of the day like a lot of our trades are like straight up sometimes they're fucking luck and like that's going to be different for everybody like i see toby trading and i'm like this is my hell and I see fucking Tom trading and I'm like, how could I fucking, I just have no idea how you guys are making money and you're it's, doing it every day. That's and an then, interesting like, point. 
You know, like you see people making money all the time in the market and you'll look at their strategy. You're like, what the yeah, you're like, what the fuck are they doing? Make sense to me. Yeah. It's not supposed to, because you're not them. Our personalities yeah. are why we trade the way we trade. You know, exactly. I like to hold stuff for four hours and, God, you know, I like, that. I know. I, I played Tesla earnings in January and I was upset that I had to hold the trade for like three weeks because it kept going up. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, just let me out of this trade. I don't want to be holding this position anymore. I don't anymore. want it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the funny things I saw, so you just mentioned that a lot of our trades are luck, which I don't disagree with entirely. But I think that the difference is with someone who's profitable is luck over time and consistently being lucky enough to the point it's like, um, you know, I just got myself back to green on the day. So I'm going to stop. And then you just do that day after day. That's the difference. Like identifying the luck is the part that's hard. Because whenever you're starting out, you could take a long, a short. And in essence, every trade we take is a guess on, are we going up or down? Totally. Like yeah. that is a 50-50 chance, depending on how long you want to hold it. And like there's, some people- There's no way to know. Yeah. yeah, there's just no way. So like when that's what makes trading so hard is you can take a shit mm -hmm. trade, a backside long, mm -hmm. and you can make the most money you've ever fucking made out of all of your trades ever. And you'll be like, dude, this is the best setup I've ever had. Yeah. Next day you do it, you lose. Next day you do it, you lose. Next day you do it, you lose. Next month, yeah. Give that Mark, Mark Douglas talks about that a lot in his book also. Like you, when you enter a trade, realistically, you, you have no idea what's going to happen. So it's yeah. that's why it's really important. I always have a thought of what I think is going to happen, but I try really hard not to be glued to a certain bias. If I'm in a trade, in a position, and I start to see something else happening that I didn't see before, or it's not doing what I thought, like I said earlier, I'll just get out of the trade because I'm like, I thought that this was going to happen. It's not happening. So I'm out. Yeah. Like in essence, like we're planning for contingencies, right? Like we're not trying to make a prediction. We're trying to say like, this could happen or this could happen. If this happens, I will manage this trade this way. If this happens, I will manage this trade that way. And the execution yep. of the trade is where the skill comes in and the experience. Like who lost me friend, right? But yeah. when am I, did I, damn, just I for a second. Again? God damn it. Just a second. Anybody can do that, but the, a pro knows when to hold, when to add, when to. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's flooding for sure over there. Fuck. <laughs> 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 Whatever. I'm done. I'm done. Fuck this shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we can all agree. Sizing is key, and it's it's tough when you're just starting out because you start sizing linear, uh, and that's one of the biggest mistakes you can do. So, great takeaway from this. <laughs> this pod and on that note i guess we'll go ahead and call we're probably a little bit over anyway um have a great easter weekend everyone yeah yeah three day three day weekend i think it's <clears throat> much needed should have been a four day weekend ah oh, i can't believe i traded today <laughs> oh well all right yeah, but you got to stick around for the fun podcast so yeah that's true maybe that, that <laughs> pushed me over the edge who knows who knows what it was <laughs> all right guys all right. Thank you, everyone. Later, guys. Have See a you good guys. Weekend. Good chat. Ciao, ciao.